The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. And every breath shall praise his name one day, someday. Amen. Until that day, we, uh, we continue on by faith. And uh, this morning, we are doing so by finishing out the book of Isaiah. Uh, believe it or not, uh, 66 chapters. We have been marching for quite a while, but uh, this morning we have um, the conclusion to Isaiah. And aren't you curious how it ends? Let's go to Isaiah chapter 66, and we're going to read the whole chapter. And what we see here is God is bowing up. Uh, God is, is putting out his chest. And he is confronting this people one last time, but he is giving an indictment, he's giving hope, and he's even giving the hope of judgment. So let's look at it now. Isaiah chapter 66, the very word of God. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents a grain offering like one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense like one who blesses an idol. These have chosen their own ways, and their soul delights in their abominations. I also will choose harsh treatment for them and bring their fears upon them, because when I called, no one answered. And when I spoke, they did not listen. But they did what was evil in my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Your brothers who hate you and cast you out for my namesake have said... Let the Lord be glorified that we may see your glory, but it is they who shall be put to shame. The sound of an uproar from the city, a sound from the temple, the sound of the Lord rendering recompense to his enemies. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord? Shall I who cause to bring forth shut the womb, says your God? Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her. All you who love her, rejoice with her in joy. All you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied satisfied from her consoling breast, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream, and you shall nurse, you shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees as one whom his mother comforts. So I will comfort you. And you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. 
You shall see and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass. And the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants. And he shall show his indignation against his enemies. For behold, the Lord will come in fire. And his chariots like the whirlwind. To render his anger in fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment. And by his sword with all flesh and those slain by the Lord shall be many. Those who sanctify and purify themselves to go into the gardens. Following one in the midst eating pig's flesh and the abomination and mice. Shall come to an end together declares the Lord. For I know their works and their thoughts. And the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. And they shall come and shall see my glory. And I will set a sign among them. And from them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, Pool, and Lud, who draw the bow, to Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands afar off, that have not heard my fame or seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the nations. And they shall bring all their brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord on horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules and on dromedaries and to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord. Just as the Israelites bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord, and some of them also I will take for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon, from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worms shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. It's the very word of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Pray with me. Father, we come to you this morning and we pray for your presence among us. Oh God, we pray that we would not be like Israel of old, that our hearts would not be hard, that we would not be so self-righteous, that we would not be so entitled spiritually before you, that, that we would uh, somehow seek to manipulate you with our good deeds and put you in our debt. Oh God, we pray that you would send your spirit, that you might give us a, a heart that is broken and contrite, a spirit that genuinely understands our smallness our unworthiness before you, the great God, whose throne is heaven, whose footstool is earth. That, God, you would break through the games we try to play and you would bring us to a point of utter silence before you that we might worship you and you alone. Oh, God, would you do a mighty work among us. I don't have any power whatsoever to accomplish or effect any change in, our, in the hearts of those uh, both here and watching in other places. I don't even have the power to affect change in my own heart. We are desperately dependent upon your spirit this morning. Would you move? We need to hear from you, O oh God. Break through, break through, break through, O oh God. For your glory and your honor and your majesty, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May 25th, 2020. Darnella Frazier, 17 at the time, took her iPhone. 
she stopped on the side of the road in Minneapolis and she filmed for nine minutes and 29 seconds as um, Derek Chauvin had George Floyd pinned on the pavement with his knee in his neck. For nine minutes and 29 seconds, and really the last three of those, he was lifeless and, and gone. <laughs> but for those first several minutes, uh, George Floyd was crying out 27 times, I can't breathe! I can't breathe! I can't breathe! No regard. No emotion. Set. The knee set on the neck without any mercy. That video went international. The world attention uh, focused upon George Floyd's death and upon the injustice that happened in the streets. The cry for justice was constant. And then the trial started, and we all waited, admittedly without much hope, <laughs> that justice would be served. But as the sentence was finally read, guilty, guilty, guilty. There was a sigh of relief. There was a sense that, that maybe justice has finally been served, that just maybe the scales of justice might tip in the right direction. There was a sense of hope, a, a sense of not of hate being fulfilled, but of justice being carried out. Because there's something deep in every single person that cries out for justice. There's something within us that knows it is right. Theodore Parker said, the arc of the universe is long, but it bends into the direction of justice. You see, justice is what love looks like in public. It's what love should have looked like on that day. Pull the neck, pull the knee back. Show mercy, show compassion. Diffuse the situation. You see, justice as Jesus has said all throughout, and as we have seen all throughout the book of Isaiah, it is not just the employer putting uh, the neck of his wages on the back of his employees. It, it is not just unfair laws. It, it is not just owning a slave, as we have seen. Indeed, White evangelicals and white people in general, we have, we have tried to, to see, well, what is my place in all of this? And Jesus says very frankly in the greatest commandment, what is it? To love God and to love neighbor. Well, who is my neighbor, says the lawyer, and what does Jesus say? He doesn't say it's the one who beats up and leaves for dead. It's the one who passes by the one who is beat up and left for dead and does nothing. You see, justice has broader implications. Justice is, is, is right. It is one who possesses breath that God has given him, using his resources as little or small or his power or his influence to bless his neighbor, to, to, to offer a hand up, to, to offer a hand forward, just as God has done for us, all of us. And yet we get to chapter 66, and God is not talking about the injustice that we um, 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 inflict on one another. But he talks about a different kind of justice. 
the injustice of not giving God his due. And friends, the, the, Romans 3 just kept coming back to me over and over again. It's like God is declaring to all nations, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, no, not one. And our only hope is to be contrite and humble before the Almighty, the one whose throne is heaven and whose footstool is the earth. The proper response is not bitterness and anger, nor is it religion, but it is utter humility before God, saying there is nothing that I can even give you. There's no way I can even appease you because you are just that glorious and I am just that small. You see, the question before us this morning is, do you have a just relationship with God? Or have you been inflicting injustice upon him through your good deeds? You say, Richard, what are you talking about? That's the work we have to do this morning. And the first thing we need to see is that religion, or just seeking to do good before God, religion attempts to put a, ne a knee on the neck of God. That's what religion does. This is insanity. Listen to verses 3 through 4. He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. Why are they slaughtering oxes? To worship God. He who sacrifices a lamb is like one who breaks a dog's neck. Well, didn't that, isn't that what you command, O oh God? He who presents a grain offering, he who brings his tithe is like one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense like one who blesses an idol. These have chosen their own ways. What, what, what God is saying is this is not the religion that I've called my people to. You have totally mistaken. These have chosen their own ways and their soul delights and their abominations. I also will choose harsh treatment for them and bring their fears upon them because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen. But they did what was evil in my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. You see, we are constantly judging our neighbor for the evil that they are doing and yet God is constantly judging us for judging our neighbor thinking that in some way we are better than they. God is not merely not pleased with religion. He says he is going to judge religion, the motivation behind religion, with fire. Listen to verses 15 through 16. For behold, the Lord will come in fire, and his chariots like the whirlwind, to render his anger and fury. This is the most frightening picture that we can possibly fathom. It's God in coming on the clouds in fire and fury, circling around him with his chariots, coming after the wicked. And who are the wicked? Those that are seeking to manipulate God and put God in their debt by the good things that they do, thinking God somehow owes them something for how good they are. This is what stirs up the wrath of God. That's what the big deal is. The root of religion is seeking to control God to manipulate him and put him in our debt without any heart of love toward him, without any relationship with him, not even wanting a relationship with him. It's I do for you and you do for me. It's not by grace through faith. It is by uh, bribe and through manipulation. I bribe you. I get you in the corner. I do good for you and you better do good for me or else. 
It is that spirit. Why didn't Derek Chauvin listen to the crowd? It was pride. It was pride. I mean, the law of God is written on that man's heart. He knew what he was doing was wrong, but because other people were telling him to take his knee off, he wasn't going to do it. And friends, that's my heart, and that's your heart too. You see, who of us trembles, truly, who of us truly trembles at the word of God? Who of us delight in his law? Who of us really let him tell us what to do? No, we, we wrestle with the word. Well, maybe it's not true. Maybe it is true. Maybe it, it has this special interpretation. And, you know, especially when we don't want to obey at a certain point, we find all kinds of reasons not to do so. And God says, Who are you, O oh man, to talk back to me? Shall the one who is formed talk back? to the one who formed it? And we say, oh, yeah, but God, we've done great things for you. I mean, look at your heart. I, I, I've thought a lot about this this week. When life hasn't worked out for me, this is exactly where my heart goes. My house is burning down. God, haven't I done enough for you? <laughs> Somebody on staff commits voyeurism, is arrested, women in our church absolutely traumatized. God, haven't we done enough for you? Aren't we taking your word seriously? Don't you owe us more than this? You see, God's agenda is not our agenda. He's trying to get our heart. He is trying to teach us that he is enough. And he's trying to teach us that we don't have enough to give to him. He's trying to bring us to a point of brokenness. He's trying to bring us to a point of contrition. Why? So that we can get him. He's trying to free us from religion, free us from our works. Religion seeks to get the upper hand on God so as to control him. Thus Isaiah says in chapter 64, 6, We all have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Oh, God, aren't you pleased with me today? I had a quiet time. I sent my tithe check in. I was nice to my employer. I gave a 21% tip to, and God says, whoa, 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 time out. Uh, who made you? <laughs> I mean, this is, what God, this is what God does in verse 1. He starts off this, the last chapter bowed up. Heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. What is the house you're going to build for me? Whoa. And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. It is your breath in my lungs that I even worship you this morning. That is the gospel. That is where he's trying to bring his people. You don't have anything to give me. Your greatest sacrifice is nothing to me. God is not obligated to us at all. The created cannot put the creator in his or her debt. It cannot be done. It, 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 it's as foolish as a four-year-old trying to control his parents. 
It's just that foolish. And yet some of us, we have seen households where four-year-olds rule the house. And how does that go? It's dysfunctional. It's death. Why? Because a four-year-old doesn't have the wisdom, doesn't have the maturity, doesn't have the resources to run a home. That's why the parent needs to run the home. That's why the parent needs to bow up and say, who do you think you are? For the child's good, not for the child's destruction, but to save the child from destruction, to bring humility. And this is what God is doing before his, his people. This is the one to whom I will look, verse 2b. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. One who understands deeply the games that we've been trying to play with God what we need more than anything is the exposure of understanding that we have used, we have related to God out of religion, trying to get him on a leash, trying to pimp God for our blessing. And if we don't see that, we're going to live in slavery, enslaved. And God knows that, and thus he's honest with his people. And so, what does he do next? He shows us the essence of true religion. Number two, true religion is to be captivated by the king. It's to be captivated by the king and his kingdom, his coming kingdom. He starts giving them good news. He starts giving them gospel news about a new heaven and a new earth. But it is highly relational. I, I don't. Some of you were at Adriana's wedding, Adriana and Brennan's wedding last week, last Saturday, Saturday week ago. And... Um, if you were there, it's like every wedding, you know, uh, the minister comes out, Michael look all, all hot in his, uh, his tuxedo and, you know, looking, looking clean, looking really clean, and then Brennan comes out and the groomsman, and, you know, and you're watching, you're listening to the music, but what are you really waiting on? The bride. And so everybody's waiting, and I don't know if, if uh, Adriana planned this, but she was fashionably late, you know. We were waiting, the music kept playing, there was some thought in me, you know, well, I know she didn't like back out, did, you know, did she? Now, come on now. And then the door swings open. And she's stunning. And then what do you do? You look at the bride, back to the groom. If you were there, it was unmistakable. Brennan lost his mind. He came undone. I think his DNA started unraveling at the deepest level. I mean, his, his, his uh, um, best man was patting him on the back, you know. It was kind of like, it was out of love, but it was also out of a little concern, you know. It's like, brother, you okay? You okay? Are you about to go down? He was captivated by his bride. He wasn't saying, oh, man, she's going to cost me a lot. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure we're going to fight a lot. He was captivated. There is no nothing that she could not ask of him in that moment that he would not do. Would you die for me in that moment? Absolutely. Captivated by her love. So God takes us from the indictment that religion is seeking to put your knee on my neck to, oh, there's a better way. There is a better way. Listen to uh, verses 10 through 14. 
Um, rejoice with Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem, Zion, this is the church of today. This is the new heaven and the new earth. This is the glorious future to come, the, the glorious community of God's people from every tribe and every language we see. They're going to be gathered from every ends of the earth. These are the ones that, that um, 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 have been birthed by the supernatural power of God in verse 7. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. The complete reversal of Genesis chapter 3, in which a woman shall bear, you know, children with great pain and, you know, the whole curse, that is gone. There are babies being born and there's no pain. It's even happening before they even know it. This is the supernatural birth of God, birthing his church, birthing the inhabitants of the new Jerusalem, the new heaven and the new earth, Zion itself, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to this, rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, verse 10, all you who love her, rejoice with her in joy, all you you who mourn over her now because of the present state, that you may nurse and be satisfied. Whoa, we're getting a little intimate, God. I don't want to think about nursing from the breast of God or, you know, this is getting weird. He says, I don't care. I don't care how uncomfortable it makes you. <laughs> that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. For thus says the Lord, I will extend peace to her like a river. We can't even fathom that. Peace to her like a river. And the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse. You shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knee. Have you ever, as a parent or as a child, have you seen someone, a mother or father, looking you know, just adoringly into the face of their child, bouncing them on their knee? That is how God describes his relationship that is, he offers to his children. That is the future hope of the new heaven and the new earth. It is God playfully delighting in his children as his children. And as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. He is preaching this to a people that have been taken away. They've lost home. They've lost job. They've lost everything. They're in exile. But, oh, comfort's coming, dear friends. Oh, your life may be bad now. You may be in the doldrums. You may see no hope. But, oh, it's coming. It's coming. Because my people who humble themselves, who are broken before me, I bless with what himself as the entree of the new heaven and the new earth. And then this is the story, this is the marching story of all the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and we get to Revelation 21, and God shows John this vision. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And then I saw, get this, the holy city, New Jerusalem. Here it is. New Jerusalem. Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Wait a minute. This is too much. I can't take it. I, I, it, it would seem appropriate that God would be the bride because that's the, where the real focus is. No. God is the groom waiting for his bride. Are you kidding me? You think God's forgotten you right now and every circumstance in your life is, is giving you that message, oh, you listen to this hope, dear friends. One day, someday, the back door of history is going to fly open and God's knees are going to go limp at the glory of his bride because Jesus has won and this glorious bride will be presented to him and they will dwell together forever 
I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning. Is anybody hurting this morning? Has anyone experienced loss? Oh, there shall be no mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things, all that we've experienced, all the injustice, all the hurt, all the betrayal, all the sin against us and that we've committed against others, these things have passed away. Jesus doesn't offer an easy life, but he offers an incomparable love to get us through this tough life that is leading to an end that is the new Jerusalem, that is the new heaven, that is the new earth. And this is why religion doesn't work. Because it's transactional. And and if your concept, and it is for all of us to some degree, I do good for you, you do good for me. That only ends in anger and bitterness. That's the worst thing for any relationship. If I expect something out of you and you don't give it to me, we're done. God says, that's not what I invite you to, and that is not the gospel. And and so he gives them this good news. God's people are in exile, taken captives by a ruthless nation. And listen to what he's giving them promises, 9 through 11. Shall I bring you to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth? Have I, have, I reborn, have I made you a new human simply to back off and not finish what I've done? Is that the kind of God you think I am? Shall I who calls to bring forth shut the womb, says your God? No, rejoice with Jerusalem. Live now as if the new Jerusalem is a reality because it is. And be glad for her and all you who love her. Rejoice with her in joy. Rejoice as if you are experiencing the realities that God's promise. All you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast and arms. Isaiah paints a picture of a new heaven and new earth. It's this supernatural community for the good of all, that exists for the good of all creation. It's beautiful. And that's where we are to live out of. And friends, that's what we all desire. Every good thing that you desire is found in the new heaven and the new earth. Every desire that you have, every desire, sexual desire, desire for pleasure, fulfillment, relationship, intimacy, hunger, your hunger to be satisfied, a a glorious home, every single desire that you and I have, that's why you don't need to be secret about your desires. You need to to draw the straight line from where you are right now in the midst of your being unfulfilled directly to God and say he sees it, he knows it, he will fulfill it. Not by a glorious mansion, but by the glorious God himself. He is the entree. He is the mansion. He is the wealth. He is the intimacy. He is the, the pleasure. He's everything in the midst of the new heaven and the new earth. And everything we do 
is, is an opportunity to bring worship and glory to him. Do you have that hope this morning? You say, Richard, it's hard because this life is so unfair. And that's why you need to embrace this last point, and that is the judgment of God. Judgment is coming, and that brings hope and opportunity. The cry of our hearts today is simple. How could a loving God commit people to hell in judgment? And yet, let's, let's flip it. What would have happened if the judge, or let's say the jury, had acquitted Derek Chauvin? Um, <laughs> you would have said, how can a loving judge or a loving juror not sentence <laughs> Derek Chauvin to judgment? I mean, it, it's intellectually, it, it's crazy because... You know, the furthest people to the left, those who cry for love and really deny judgment and, and, you know, are the very ones wanting judgment. Why? Because you can't have love without judgment. The, the two, the more I love something, the more I'm going to protect something. The more I love my daughter, the more, or my wife, the more I'm going to protect them. And if you hurt them, you better watch out. Why? Because I love them. That you can't have love without judgment. It's just wishy-washy. It's, it's intellectually hypocritical. We need justice in an unjust world. Dr. King led an, a nonviolent movement, and what drove him? It wasn't the, the prospect of a future without judgment. It was a prospect of a future in which all hills will be leveled, righteousness will reign, and it will come flowing down into the streets. Miroslav Volf. A Croatian believer, in his book, Exclusion and Embrace, he wrote this um, in, um, um, uh, in the midst of a life that, uh, of experiencing extreme injustice in Croatia. And this is what he said. He said, if God were not angry at injustice and deception and did not make a final end to violence, that God would not be worthy of worship. The only means of prohibiting all recourse to violence by ourselves is to insist that violence is only legitimate when it comes from God. My thesis that the practice of nonviolence requires a belief in divine vengeance will be unpopular with many in the West, but it takes the quiet of a suburban home for the birth of that thesis, um, the thesis that human nonviolence results from belief in God's refusal to judge. In a sun-scorched land, soaked in the blood of the innocent, it will invariably die with other captivities of the liberal mind. Howard Thurman, in 1947, a predecessor of Dr. King's, uh, gave a scholar, African -American, he was an African-American scholar who gave a lecture at Harvard in 1947. He said this, Can you imagine a slave saying, I and all my children and grandchildren are consigned to lives of endless brutality and grinding poverty. But there's no judgment day in which any wrongdoing will ever be put right. No. What he was referring to, then uh, Howard Thurman goes on to expound on Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. 
You see, justice is necessary for human flourishing. And you see that. There's probably no better illustration of that, in America at least, than the black church. The black church makes absolutely no sense without a belief in divine judgment. Because why? Because uh, African Americans experience horrific suffering, even through this day. And so why would they believe in a God who um, doesn't punish the oppressor, who is unconcerned about their plight and the injustice upon their brown and black skin? It is the absolute trust and commitment to a God who is both just and loving, who satisfied that justice through the death of his own son that makes any sense at all. And those that come under the beauty and the forgiveness of the atoning work of Jesus Christ who was judged in their place, judged in our, in our place, and, and therefore is worthy of worship. It is only those who come under that umbrella, the very umbrella that God provides, the salvation that God provides, that deserve um, the reality of forgiveness and, and the new heavens and the new earth. But those that refuse... Uh, those that have really experienced depression understand that they, what, they absolutely deserve it. And, and do you understand that that is the gospel? This horrible picture of judgment, and it's a horrible one, of God coming in fire and glory, and it, and it ends with this warning of uh, the very last two, uh, the, the last verse, and they shall go out. Who? Those in the New Jerusalem shall go out and see the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me, for their worms shall not die, and their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. In essence, those in glory, those in the new heavens and the new earth, are going to be able to continually look over and see the suffering and yet say, yes, because God deserved more. And I'm only here by grace. Do you understand grace this morning? The, the picture of the gospel is, is a tough one. It's like we're all waiting for the end of June when Derek Chauvin will be sentenced. And, and we most want a harsh penalty. But the gospel picture is this. It would be like George Floyd's brother coming and standing before the judge and saying, Give him the harshest penalty. Sentence him to death, which is not even an option on the table. And, 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 and the judge present that sentence, and then George Floyd's brother say, now let me take his place. Let Derek Chauvin go free, and you punish me. I mean, that's the gospel. Do you get it? We are not the heroes of the gospel. We are the Derek Chauvins of the gospel. <laughs> we are the ones who deserve judgment. We are the ones who deserve hell. We are the ones who deserve this fiery picture, this eternal damnation. Why? Because we are the ones that try to, to put our neck on, on, put our knee on the back of God's neck trying to control him. The God of heaven and earth, the one who deserves our worship. And yet he by his grace says, all we like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
Do you understand the grace of God this morning? Because if you understand the judgment of God and the grace of God, which is the gospel, the only proper response is faith and contrition and humility before this God and say yes to Jesus and yes to justice. God getting his justice satisfied through the gospel that he might possess me as a son or daughter. Is that your hope this morning, dear friends? Do you understand what you deserve? And if you're a Christian, do you understand what you will get? Do you understand that this is what the gospel offers? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Come to me. I'm not asking you to live, to, to live your life and then at the end see if I'm going to extend enough mercy. I'm asking you to humble yourself right now and understand there's not enough good you could ever do because of all the bad you have done. And will you give yourself and will you throw yourself on the mercy of Jesus, the one who is our covering, the one who is our propitiation, the one who is our atonement, the one who is our forgiveness, the one who is our righteousness, the one who clothes us that we might be loved and receive what Jesus receives because he received what we received. Is that your Jesus this morning? Is that your hope? Is that your Savior? Is that where your heart is? May we draw near to him. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are the suffering servant, that you stood in the place of us. You stood in our place when our sin is as wicked and evil as the greatest oppressors throughout history. Because we have sought to oppress you. We have sought to control you. We have sought to, to put a noose around your neck, to enchain you, to be indebted to bless us. But, oh God, you sent Jesus, and he atoned for that sin. God, may we both fear this morning and may we rejoice in the hope that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. Get praise from us this morning, Lord Jesus, as you win our hearts, as you drive us to being broken over our sin and yet being gloriously hopeful over the, the, the inheritance that we have as sons and daughters of the King. Oh God, do your work among us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. May we respond to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ as we bring our tithes and offerings. We can do so electronically, but those of us who are here, we have baskets in the back and on the side as well as you go out this morning. Turn your heart to the Lord. Confess your sin. Beg him to show you your sin. Beg him to meet you right where you are, that we might come to the table and eat of his body and drink of his blood and glory in the great salvation that he's accomplished. Amen.